Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. The panel. It's 20 past 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for him and it is time for the panel and uh, welcome to the panel, uh, Hamish Bidwell. G'day Hamish, how are you mate? Yeah, fantastic, how are you mate? Yeah, good, thank you. And also Guy Havelt, g'day Guy. Yeah, morning fellas, good to be on again. Good to have you on mate, good to have you on. What do you make of uh, New Zealand's newest uh, big export earner, uh, of course, which is coaches? We're sending Baz to England, Daniel Vittori to Australia, uh, and news yesterday that David Kipp to go and coach the Pumas alongside Michael Checker. Yeah, uh, I only just heard about this, I've got to be honest, uh, this morning, I don't know when it actually came out. Uh, look, uh, this is this is the international... Uh, sporting arena these days, isn't it? It doesn't matter really where you come from. Uh, you can go and coach whoever, and, and obviously um, New Zealand has some pretty good coaches, whether it's in rugby or, or rugby league. Um, and obviously Michael Checker, um, I believe, might have worked with David Kidwell before, and so seemingly thinks he's pretty good. Look, look, everyone will probably um, think back to the days of when David Kidwell was the Kiwis coach and, and things didn't go so well for him. But I think he's a pretty good assistant coach. He's been under some very good head coaches over his time. He's had some very good results with the Storm and also, uh, most recently, the Parramatta Eels. So in terms of his assistant coaching credentials, I I think pretty good. Uh, The game in terms of rugby union to rugby league, I suspect in terms of what he would be doing would be fairly similar to what he's learnt in league. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe not a bad call there from Michael Checker. Uh, Hamish, did you see this one coming, mate? And, and what do you think it uh, it will mean for David Kidwell? Oh, look, David Kidwell is a borderline halfway. And I, I say that with all due respect. Like, I, I dealt with him quite a lot during the Kiwis reign, and he was absolutely hopeless. Um, had no idea what he was doing. It's funny... Um, there was a tie with an Argentina actually covering the All Blacks, but um, there was a kerfuffle with Tomalolo and Tokaho, um, Pusitu, all those guys were in line with Tonga rather than the Kiwis. And I wrote the scathing column of what an idiot Kidwell was and the shambles his own rugby league was. And anyway, the Kiwis rocked up to Wellington a couple of weeks later and the immediate dribbler said to me, oh, Kitty wants to see you. And uh, I wandered off and he stood there, got right in my face, <coughs> excuse me, like inch or two away, stared at me. And I just said to him, is that it? Are you finished now? And he said, yep, and I wandered off. And after the rest of the tournament, he was like, hey, Hamish, great question, Hamish. Like, that miserable 4-2 loss to Fiji, and he come and he patted me on the back as he walked up to the table, you know what I mean? Like, to, to face the music. That was the most shameful episode, one of the more shameful episodes in New Zealand sport. Um, only made sensation, even made better by Sean Johnson, who, to his credit, came out to talk to us after the 4-2 loss to Fiji and gave us that wonderful line, you've got what you wanted, news. I don't know use, but anyway, I, was, I could have kissed him at that moment. So I thought he was an absolute twit. And uh, we gave him a kicking, gave Kidwell a kicking, and I just don't think Kidwell doing anything in, in rugby. Um, it's good work if he can get it, but I, I don't rate the guy at all, I'm afraid. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that, because he and Checker are both quite volatile characters. Uh, what about uh, the news that Warren Gatlin's reportedly going to move to uh, the US and take over US rugby ahead of their, their World Cup in, was it 2020, whenever it is? Might be 31, bro. That's, that'll be it. I was going to say 27. I was like, no, that's Australia. <laughs> yeah. uh, it means nothing. Uh, there's no rugby culture there. There's no player pool. They can get Uncle Tom Cobbley to come and coach and it won't make any difference, do you know what I mean? And, and you can see that. 
guys get consultancy roles all the time. I mean, how's the Steve Hansen full Gould experiment going at Canterbury Bankstown? You know what I mean? Like, you can bring in uh, the heavy hitters, but if you don't have the cattle, you ain't going anywhere in the US. They don't have the cattle, and that's it. What do you think, Guy? Do you think a guy like Gatling can add anything to, to US rugby at the moment? And, and if so, what? Uh, I think Hamish has got a point. If you don't have the players, then, then you're not going to really make an imprint on world rugby, are you? Look, what they've probably got is money, because it's the US. They've probably got decent money from, from big sponsors, that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and yeah, he might be able to make an impact in some regard in terms of being able to improve... Uh, you know, lower level players in the grand scheme of things, but are they going to make an impact in terms of upsetting, you know, uh, for want of a better word, the heavyweights of world rugby? I doubt it, and I don't think so. Um, Yeah, but but I suspect this is something that we'll probably see more of because uh, those bigger countries do have more funding at their power, and so they can kind of reel in whatever coaches they want. Yeah, uh, it'd be, uh, yeah, I mean, if he goes, I don't know how much velocity it is to the Chiefs either, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, gentlemen, it is International Day Against LGBTQIA plus discrimination. Um, outside them needing to come up with a, a catchier handle than that, um, when do you think we as a country will feel comfortable enough to have an all-black come out as openly gay? I, I say this after um, Lyndon Bray is, ha, has talked about this, who's, uh, of course, the former referee and, and, and now at Tasman Guy? Well, I, I would like to think most of the country would be comfortable with it in this day and age. I don't know if there are any gay players in the All Blacks. Um, I, who knows? Um, but I would like to think that the majority of people in this day and age um, who understand society, um, you know, I, I think probably most of us have um, an LGBTQ, whatever it might be, friend or something like that, or, or an acquaintance or whatever, uh, and so I'd like to think, realistically, there would probably be a, a portion of society and, and still, um, you know, you know, uh, probably a third of society that would still feel uncomfortable about it. And that makes me incredibly sad, to be honest. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong in that regard. And I hope if it does happen at some stage, whenever it might be, that, we're, that we as a society can accept it. Um, you, you never know in this day and age. You just have to look at social media and the way that, that people just shoot from the hip and say whatever they want and some of it is so incredibly derogatory that it's it's nothing short of disgusting frankly so I'm sure there would be some elements of it but I'd like to think the majority of society would uh, would not even bat an eyelid to it and I know it would make news, but it shouldn't make news if it does happen, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the ideal, isn't it? We get to a, a point where uh, it's not a big thing. It's not a talking point, but unfortunately, we're not there yet. Uh, Hamish, we have seen uh, just uh, today Jake Daniels, who plays in the second tier of English football in the championship at Blackpool, come out as openly go. I think he's the first current footballer I can remember uh, doing so since Josh Cavallo um, at Adelaide did it last year. Um, where are you? on this because I, I, I kind of think if a bloke can do it in English football which is probably the biggest cesspit of fan abuse then then they can kind of do it anywhere Yeah I'm the 50-50 on it so I'll give you an example I heard uh, Daniels on the BBC this morning and he was talking about the relief like he hadn't even come out to his family like he told his sister and his mum and then went out the next game and scored four goals and he said that was indicative of the relief of being able to be open and, and honest for the first time in his life and, and, and how that freed him and, and, and enabled him to play without fear, I guess, which is what all athletes want to do ultimately. Um, I'm a columnist now. Like, when I was in day-to-day news, you sort of were around athletes, and they're like, I don't, I don't care about athletes at all. I don't want to know their story. Like, when you're removed, it's just you, you judge them on how they go on the field. 
occasionally if they say something daft, you've probably got to weigh in on it. But I don't want to know anything about their private life. Good husband, bad husband, good bloke, poor bloke. Do you know what I mean? It just it makes no difference to me. I don't understand. I don't like. I, mean, I don't have a curiosity to know. I'll put it that way. Like if it, if someone wants to tell me, like with Lyndon Bray, fair income, he he. I knew Lyndon Bray was gay when he was a referee, but I, I don't think it was public knowledge. He didn't make an announcement about it, but it didn't make any difference to my life. I don't know if it made any difference to Lyndon's life. I see he's urging people to perhaps come out. Well, that's cool, but I don't remember him coming out at the time. I mean, ultimately it's for people in their own circumstance to decide how they feel and what they want to reveal about themselves. But as a, as a bystander, as a, as a watcher, I, I, it doesn't matter to me what people are like in their actual life. I just try and judge them on what happens on the paddock. Yeah, and which is great. And I think it's the attitude everybody should have. But Hamish, do you think New Zealand's ready to have an openly gay All Black? What do you think? I can't judge anymore. Do you know what I mean? I feel um, dismayed, uh, confused, sometimes brokenhearted by where society's going. We're such an angry and tolerant lot. So, of course, there'll be people who, you know, want someone burned at the stake and people heads to roaming. I mean, we're just so reactionary and absurd about everything. I just, I just, where's the kindness gone, the compassion? Like, I'm really blunt and I've given, you know, I've been pretty forthright in my views today, but in terms of someone as an actual person, I just want them to be happy and do their own thing. You're offering, you want me to come on here and offer an opinion, but so I, I am trying to offer one on various things. But in terms of someone's private life, I just, I just, I don't care, and I, I, I don't think other people should care. But I know that they will because we're just such an angry, intolerant society. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's covered it pretty well, Hamish. We'll get uh, on to more things with the panel after the latest in news and sport with Araha, which is right now. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 28 away from 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, and it is the panel with Guy Havelt and Hamish Bidwell. Uh, gentlemen, the cycling and high-performance review has come out. Uh, Dana Johansson was on with us earlier today talking about it. She uh, wrote a piece for stuff.co.nz earlier today that was reasonably scathing, and you know, after having read that, you have to think. Uh, three and a half years ago, Mike Heron gave them a report that didn't seem to make any difference, Guy. Uh, so what's next here, and how's this time going to be any different? Well, that's that's the the million-dollar question, isn't it? Is it going to be any different? And I think, uh, well, I was there, Abby Wilson, who, who worked here at One News and, and broke the story in 2018 and has been covering it ever since, put it to Mike Heron, who uh, wrote both these reports, uh, and she said, uh, what's to say we won't be sitting here for a third time in a, in a few years' time? And it was a very telling response from Mike Heron. He, he took a long pause, he ummed, and he took a deep breath, and he said, well, I can't promise you that we won't, but hopefully we're not. Uh, what needs to change is the athletes need to start having some sort of a voice. Uh, and, and I know... That's sometimes difficult because sometimes uh, athlete power becomes a little bit too much in some regards. But I think in cases like this, uh, there needs to be some say for the athletes in terms of where they feel most comfortable, how, what kind of environment they feel most comfortable. They need more. If they're going to live in Cambridge, I think it's becoming abundantly clear that what they are earning, what they are getting paid is just not quite enough. Well, it's nowhere near enough. Um, Cambridge is fast becoming a, a very expensive place to live in uh, and that's where the likes of cycling, rowing um, and, and recently as well triathlon have, have had their, their centralised programs. Well, if they want to continue doing that, they need to help these athletes out. 
Otherwise, they're going to have to move their focus some in some part away from sport and get another job so that they can actually live a comfortable life. Look, I've got to be honest. I, I was at that at that presser yesterday, and I was filled with pretty much no confidence from either Phil Holden, the chair of of Cycling New Zealand, former CEO at New Zealand Rugby League or Raylene Castle. I thought they both spoke in complete and utter corporate speak. I thought it was it gave no real confidence that anything major is going to change. And I know it's only very early in this process and, and hopefully in years to come something will change. But sitting there yesterday, uh, nothing gave me massive confidence that, that there will be huge change in this. I hope we never, ever see something again that's happened to the like of, likes of Liv Podmore. I hope no athlete ever feels that they have to go that route to to get uh, to, to, to get out of the situation that they're in. Um, and there is now enormous pressure on those two names that I just mentioned and Phil Holden uh, and Raylan Castle to make sure that that never happens again. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I hope in years to come that we can sit here and say that they have been successful in that. But sitting there at that press conference yesterday, it did not fill me with a lot of confidence. No, and that, that was pretty much uh, what I got from from Dana as well uh, earlier today when we had her on the show, Guy. Um, I, I, big question for me, Hamish, is... How non-committal Raylene Castle was about changes. Now, given that Raylene Castle did a reasonably good job at Netball New Zealand, but then failed at the Canterbury Bulldogs and failed at Australian Rugby, is she the right person to be leading this right now? Particularly after the comments uh, yesterday. It's the most useless, worthless body in the world. High performance sport New Zealand or Sport NZ. Like it's just a waste of time. Like it's just you know you see that press releases come out, they tell you, oh, we're going to do this, are we vowed to do that, are we pumping money into this, and this will change outcomes for X and Y and Z, yeah, it does a bloody thing, like it's just it's, it's the job you take when there's no other real job that you can get, uh, most of the time there's, there's no checks and balances and, and, and uh, any old halfwit can do it and yeah, I just I have no regard for them, I don't have any interest in it, you know what I mean like, I, I've written about this stuff a lot because mm. sadly this happens all the time, we have Men, and it will always happen while you have, unfortunately, men in positions of power over women because the men routinely abuse that position of power. Um, one of the things I have written in the past is that it's up to parents. We put our, whether they're 12, 22 or 32, we put our children in the care of organisations and coaches and we assume that those coaches and organisations have our children's best interests at heart and they don't and they never will. They just don't care. They're just a number. They're just someone to be exploited, abused, uh, belittled, bullied, and it's up to us because no one's going to look after our children for us to be their advocates, to demand more, to take uh, close attention to how they're being treated, to the conditions they're living in and the training and to how they're being spoken to because the athlete themselves is powerless, um, especially in these um, sports such as cycling where you rely upon funding and results to be able to make a living or to be in teams and if you don't achieve thresholds you're nowhere you're either in or you're out there's no in between there's no lower tiers of professionalism you're either uh, an Olympic athlete for New Zealand in these sports or you're no one and that means that they can be treated poorly this whole idea where you break an athlete down to build them up is utterly disgusting and it's up to us as parents as I say to ensure that these people look after our children because I have absolutely zero confidence and the history backs it up that the powers that be will do anything. So where does change have to come from then? Is it governmental? Is that where it has to... Uh, do they have to burn the whole uh, thing down and start again? We don't need, need organisations, man. Like, 
we just waste all this money on reports that 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 time you know they, they, they take heat out of things and they, they cost they're just they're expensive wastes of time i know how to treat a good a, pe- a person well i i reckon i could look after an athlete in my sleep and yet the people that are paid to do it professionally seem to have no idea and they have to review to remind them of what it's like to treat a person with some kindness and some some compassion to actually care for them uh, the less infrastructure the better I, I just these bodies are so um impotent but and, and, and so removed from reality like we we have to as i say be hands-on and looking after athletes ourselves because we can't rely on on organisations, we don't need more more infrastructure. We don't need more tiers of management. We don't need more reports. Like, what do they need to report into? Don't they realise that they're treating people like scum? Like, that's that they're abusing them. Surely, they're normal human beings. Beside their titles, they must know that what they how they behave is unacceptable. And yet, we we, we, we just say, oh well, you, you've done your best. We bow to learn. We bow to improve. I can't have any confidence in these people. Mm, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. So, Hamish, well said. Well said. Hey, before we go, Guy, I know uh, you love your golf, and let, let's finish on golf. Let's finish on Ryan Fox. Uh, he's a guy who is on some a great track of form at the moment. He just can't seem to quite close it out to win a title, but uh, where do you see Ryan Fox at the moment uh, ahead of uh, the Open? Yeah, he's, he's on a bit of a tear at the moment. Um, would probably like to, as you say, have converted four of his last five tournaments that have finished in top tens into into maybe one more win. He has had one win amongst that. He's playing very well. Uh, he goes to Southern Hills, which is a, a, I think they made it quite a long course. There are only two par fives on the course, both measuring over 630 yards and then very, very long par fours as well. That should suit him if he can, if he can continue driving it straight. Um, he, he didn't play all that well in the final round of the latest European Tour event. But, yeah, he goes there pretty confident. Look, I'm not saying he's going to go and win this tournament, but if he can have another top 10, top 20 finish, I think that would be a, a very impressive result for Ryan Fox. What he needs to do is somehow push himself into that top 50 in the world and then these major championships will just happen for him. He won't need to um, try and, well, not qualify for them, but he won't need to, to, to keep performing week in, week out, that sort of thing. Uh, top 50 will just get you automatic entry. So if he can consistently... Um, keep playing well, maybe get another win or two here or there, uh, then that top fuel will become a reality and, and, and life for Ryan Pops uh, will become even better. But as I say, playing very well at the moment, I have hopes that he can play well again this week. Um, who will it suit? I, I, this is going to sound boring, but man, Scotty Scheffler uh, seems to me the guy to beat. Uh, once again, obviously the Masters champion, uh, world number one, there has been playing phenomenal golf this year. Uh, I think he's the guy to beat, and maybe even Jordan Spieth, who's in some, some pretty good form as well. But uh, as you can probably hear in my voice, Ricardo, I'm pretty excited. Another major championship. I love it. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. There'll be, there'll be zero sleep for Guy Havelt in a couple of weeks' time. I can tell you that much for free. <laughs> hey, Guy, go well, mate. Thanks very much for being part of the panel today. Pleasure. Anytime, mate. And thank you as well. Hamish Bid will love your passion, mate. You speak a lot of sense, uh, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. It is 18 away from 11 here on SENZ. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.